welcome to the Checkered to Green podcast with your hosts, David Maudie and Elliot Tardiff. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. This is From Checkered to Green, the podcast all about racing is told by three lifelong racing fans and from time to time, talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome everyone to episode number 27. I am Elliot Tardiff alongside my colleagues, David Maudy and Ryan Kolpak. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening, sir. So we are enjoying uh, some typically, well, actually even unseasonably warm weather here in the Carolinas. Um, a uh, uh, Much better than uh, other parts of the country, what they're, they're dealing with right now. Uh, thinking specifically about Louisiana and Mississippi, Southern Alabama with the um, onset of Hurricane Ida. Um, obviously thinking of everybody down there and hoping everyone is safe. And um, uh, there's not a... Uh, uh, a loss of life and not a severe loss of property. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, just working through some some really hot and humid weather here. And, uh, hoping we get uh, a little bit of rain here soon. It's getting a little dry. David, how's things up in uh, central New York there? Uh, central New York, it, it's doing well. We had a nice cooler day. Humidity returned today. And um yeah, hello, rain. Got to go to a baseball game before the thunderstorm ramp uh, came through, and you know that was fun. And then we went to, um, you know, look. You know, it looks like it's probably going to be a little more humid this week, and then finally cooling off. So hopefully, it'll be a nice Labor Day weekend. And yeah, uh, weather, uh, it's it's okay. Looks like it'll rain tomorrow and Tuesday, but, you know, I, you know echoing your, your thoughts, Elliot, about the uh, people down in uh, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, um, with Ida coming onto shore, and especially the New Orleans area with it being 10 or being 16 years to the date that Katrina hit. Um, and, you know, Elliot, you and I meteorology-wise, you know, knowing about that. But, yeah, our thoughts are definitely down with them. Ryan, how are you? Warm, sir. Very warm. This entire month, summer really sank its teeth into western New York, and it's not letting go, save for three days so far this month, every day has been 80 degrees and warmer. So when they call it the dog days of summer around here, they are not kidding. But as a man who appreciates the summertime, I will not complain. Sounds good. Well, we've got a lot to talk about um, in terms of, uh, well, we've got a lot to talk about across all the different series and what all has uh, has happened here. And uh, let's, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Let's get into the checkered segment and talk about the, the races that have gone on here in the last couple of weeks. And let's start with the IndyCar series at Gateway. This, uh, so this race, this, this ended up being a race about um, attrition and who was able to survive. Um, and 
who was able to do well and had some huge implications on the on the championship standings, as we suspected it might, um, if you listen back to episode number twenty six. So, um, Ryan, do you have any um, any thoughts, or um, uh, do you want to kind of narrate what happened in the race? I don't think there's a better word to use than attrition to attribute to this race because, good lord, what a mess. And as far as survivors go, the ultimate survivor of this race turned out to be Joseph Newgarden, who surviving all manner of fun things, let's say, on the track, took the checkered flag and earned a well-fought victory. He followed very closely by Pato Award and rounding out the top five of that race, Will Power, third, who continues to be on a pretty decent hot streak. Number four was Scott McLaughlin, and the top five was rounded off by Sebastian Bourdais. Other noticeable placements was Takuma Sato in sixth, Ryan Hunter Ray in seventh, Simon Pagano doing a decent job to land the eighth spot, Marcus Erickson in ninth, and the top 10 was rounded off by Jack Harvey. I think the most surprising thing, at least to me personally, coming out of that race was you know, some of the expected front runners who had unfortunate days that day. Pato Award taking the second place spot, jumped him up into the front runner points wise in IndyCar series. I don't know if any of us could have predicted that, but I think that just goes to show that racing is a very unpredictable thing. Gentlemen, what did you think of the outcome? You know, I, I gotta say, I mean, the, the one thing about attrition, yeah, I mean, you had a crash in lap three between um, I, um, Graham Rahal and Ed Jones getting together in one, and then what the, what was Ed Carper thinking? You know, they, they were going to come to the start, and he um, gets into Kellett, turns him, but then you look at the and the but then the the big one was VK taking out Palou and Dixon, and that allowed Ward to award jump into it. So I mean another fantastic race at Gateway. I mean Gateway's one of those unpredictable tracks every year that you never know what's going to happen. And yeah, I just was. Um, I kind of was, was shocked at, at that VK accident, but um, that took out uh, Palou and Dixon, but it's the IndyCar championship is wide open now with three races to go. I think the only way I could really describe the, at least from you know one man's humble perspective, is that some of these drivers were trying to take the risks in hope of scoring big rewards but unfortunately time and time again in this race it just turned into one disaster after another yep. well especially in turn one Oy, turn one yep. well there um turn one i think you got a lot of um uh drivers either sending it down uh into turn one really hard on the inside line or um cars that were being passed um, and taking the outside lane into turn one, running that lane very tightly on the car inside of them. And so um, 
problem or or both and problems happening as a result of that um and you know i think that um that goes to speak to um just the 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 nature of racing at gateway um but yet still being able to have a two groove racetrack there um and of the people that illustrated that quite clearly uh during the course of the evening was romain grosjean who made his uh, oval uh, oval track debut uh in the number 51 for dale coin with rick Ware racing and he put on a heck of a show in that car he was one of the fastest in the field um and he ended up finishing 14th on the night. I think they had uh, they got off strategy and um, they had to make a pit stop late. But he, uh, at one point in the race, uh, sailed around somebody on the high side going into three and took a really high line going into three and then uh, kind of cut it down uh, in apex. It's very late coming off a of four. And was able to make it work, was able to make it stick. And there's not very many times that you've, you can see um, somebody make a pass on the outside like that and not end up in the fence. So, um, so good on him for, you know, a, a very solid outing. Um, even um, uh, attracted some compliments from uh, his former manager in Formula One, Gunther Steiner. Um, but um, but yeah, it was just the nature of uh, the the racing at Gateway. It's an intermediate that drives like a short track, and we definitely saw it um, uh, during the course of this race. Most certainly, in, indeed. And I mean, when we previewed it in the last episode, I mean, everything that we we talked about the two different corners and they drive differently. I mean, we we. I mean, what did I call it? The Darlington for IndyCar almost. So, I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely was interesting, but that wasn't the only racing action we had over the, over the past um, week. We had a couple NASCAR races determining um the playoffs and we also have formula one we'll talk about formula one in our spotlight but elliot let's talk about michigan and daytona indeed it was a a battle all day of of hendrick motorsports teammates william byron kyle larson and uh chase elliott and they were fighting tooth and nail all day and and leading a lot of laps um and putting on a very spirited race late, um, but were upstaged late um, by one Ryan Blaney. And uh, Blaney takes home the, uh, took home the win uh, for Roger Penske and Ford um, with William Byron very close behind. Uh, the margin of victory, according to racingreference.info, was 0.77 seconds, so less than one-tenth of a second uh, the margin of victory after 400 miles at uh, Michigan International Speedway. Uh, Kyle Larson finished a close third. Kurt Busch and Denny Hamlin rounded out the top five. Matt DiBenedetto um, continuing a strong streak um, for the number 21 in the Wood Brothers, finishing sixth. Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. finishing in 10th. Chase Briscoe having a strong run 
um, on the day as well, finishing 11th after the controversy at Indianapolis. Uh, Christopher Bell finishing 13th, Kevin Harvick 14th, Alex Bowman, uh, the remaining Hendrick car finishing 16th, uh, Bubba Wallace finishing 19th, and Daytona 500 winner Michael McDowell finishing 20th, Joey Logano having a crash finishing 33rd, and Austin Dillon getting into a wreck with Brad Keselowski at the end of stage two, um, suffering a hard crash and finishing 36th on the day. Gentlemen, your thoughts on Michigan? Well, I got to say, I mean, we, we talked about the, you know, we, we talked about the Blue Ovals doing well at Michigan, and and they did. And, I mean, Blaney winning the, the race, especially, you know, you know, Penske, you know, you know, it's the Ford's not doing so well at races this year. But Hendrick, again, I mean, these guys just haven't let off the all season. They've just been, they, they've done well. They, they've been dominant. And, you know, it, it's just good momentum going into the playoffs for them. But otherwise, I mean, a, a great race. Um, I know there was a couple driver changes, according to Racer Reference, James Davison and Corey LaJoy. Uh, I believe it was COVID protocol that ended them um, not having to, you know, not being able to race. So um, the one good thing was, um, you know, um, Josh Berry getting a a chance to ride, finishing one lap down, but in 27. So, I mean, you know, a little more experience for Josh Berry's career that that's starting to grow, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, congrats to Ryan Blaney on that win, Ryan. Oh, Ryan Blaney, his driving skill after that restart with eight laps to go just showed that he, he may have been a bit of a sleeper for most of the season, but he showed in, in the clutch, he can get it done, especially, you know, with the, predators that are the Hendrick team like hounding him every step of the way he still held him off and took that checkered flag and let no one say otherwise he well earned that yeah Blaney he's he's one of these that um he reminds me of like a Joseph Newgarden um or even a Kyle Larson um in that Blaney has had a lot of speed um this year and last year too I think um, but really didn't have the finishes to show for it. He had a lot of, of uh, cars and runs that could have won um, and probably should have won at least a couple of races here in the last couple of years, but was undone by, you know, some gremlin, um, be it uh, external or self-induced along the way. Um, and, now that he seems to have luck on his side, much as we're seeing with uh, with Newgarden um, on the IndyCar side, and also as we're seeing with uh, with Larson here as we move towards the end of the regular season, um, you know the 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 speed and the capability of that car is now kind of stepping to the fore a little bit, and we definitely saw that at Michigan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely indeed. And um, I mean, 
that I mean it, it was a good race but then to I mean it got even more interesting um was that crash that happened at the end of the the one stage between Brad Kozlowski and um Austin Dillon which yep. set up the which I'm which I'm gonna say I don't give two bleeps about it about what happened that was a low blow move by Brad Kozlowski um I don't I I saw the highlight of that I think that was stupid um you know I, I know he felt bad I know he did um I I know he felt bad afterwards his words said it but really yeah they were very lucky and and that's not the first time that austin dillon has had a big wreck at, at michigan either um but um yeah it, it was um racing probably a little bit too close um for you know a position where um you know keselowski has a win um i think he has i forget if he has more than one checkered came out that it was the end of the stage and they crossed the line right the only thing i th- i think i heard was that um the uh, the apron down there is a little bit rough in spots and so it may have he may have kind of jumped up a little bit but even still david to your point um you know keselowski's got to give some room after he- you take the green green checkered he's going to be part owner next year in roush you can't be doing that yeah um and you know he he had some uh uh some people directing a lot of anger uh at him uh after the race um uh richard childress racing's uh twitter uh i believe they they put out a tweet um saying that was uncalled for and um rumor is that uh, Richard Childress was saying, actually, he said it on the, the radioactive that he's he's an old man, but, um, you know, he can still kick somebody's butt, I think were his exact well, words. Well, what, what have they always said every, what have they said about Kozlowski and Logano, Beavis and Butthead? Maybe. Yeah, yeah but, but it's not it, good for your reputation if you keep acting like it. Yeah. Yep. Well, but no. it's... Uh, but it set up a situation for Daytona that going into the playoffs, you had Reddick on the bubble, Dylan having good, and then you had a whole boatload of drivers who could win and get in. Yep. So and it, it very nearly happened, but um, it was just a, a, a really tense race, especially as you move towards the end and everybody was just kind of biding their time. Um, but as you got into the, the final few laps and the pushing and shoving started to get more intense, not surprisingly, that's when, um, uh, cars started to lose control and there were some, some big wrecks, uh, to finish out the, uh, the end of this race. So let's, let's talk about, uh, Daytona. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, you had a lot of David, as you mentioned already, there were a lot of drivers that, um, were looking at this race to, you know, provide them, you know, their last shot at getting into the playoffs, win and you're in. And there were, I believe, over a dozen uh, drivers that were in that situation. Um, and it very nearly happened. Uh, you had 
Uh, Chris Busher was um, was up there and uh, was very competitive late. Matt DiBenedetto, um, who has run well at Daytona and the 21 car uh, with its legendary record at Daytona as well. Um, they were up there um, fighting for the win as well. And um, with a few laps left, made a move on, on Chase Elliott, who was leading and uh, had a very strong car all night and was strong late, had fresh tires. Um, and uh, Elliott went to throw a block and uh, it put them both in the fence and, and a whole bunch of other cars as well. And um, then on the last lap, um, it was Ryan Blaney out front and Kevin Harvick uh, making a, a charge with uh, Daniel Suarez and Kurt Busch in a hot pursuit. And uh, going down the back stretch, uh, Kurt Busch uh, hooked the, uh, the 99, um, which turned him into Harvick, which set off another huge wreck. Um, and out of all that um, came Ryan Blaney, um, who was out ahead of um, a lot of the chaos late. And uh, with that, took his second win in as many weeks and puts him into the playoffs with three wins on the season now. Um, Chris Buescher finished second, but was disqualified uh, due to a technical infraction after the race. And that moved Bubba Wallace in the 23 car up to the second position with Ryan Newman, third, Ryan Priest fourth, Tyler Reddick um, with a beat up car um, after being involved in one of the late wrecks brought it home in the fifth position. This gives you an idea of how crazy this race was. And uh, you know, we talked about attrition before in the IndyCar race. Well, this was attrition with um, capital T's here. Justin Haley in the 77 car for Spire Motorsports finished sixth. Bowman and Elliott and then BJ McLeod and Josh Bilicki in the 52 car for Rick Ware Motorsports rounded out the top 10. Um, so truly a, a crazy race. Um, a lot of action, a lot of wrecks late um, and uh, a lot of drivers desperate to make their uh, to stamp their their ticket into the playoffs and uh, in the end it was um, uh, it was Ryan Blaney and the 12 team coming through once again uh, David your thoughts on Daytona I I gotta say it was it, it was crazy it, especially at the end I I was watching it and you know my, my wife and I are watching it and they take the green and it's gang down and I said you know, 16 laps. I said, they're going to wreck 10 to go. Well, I, that they wrecked sooner than that, but, um, yeah, I just, I just can't, you know, it, it was just wild at the end and bubble Wallace. And if that wreck didn't happen, who knows, maybe Suarez could have won it. Maybe bubble Wallace could have won it. Maybe Dylan gets lucky and pulls it out. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of good racing, and you know, now I see why they made this the final race before the playoffs because it, it's just such a wild card, and and what really hurts is um, Denny Hamlin 
going into the playoffs. I mean, according to Racing Reference, because he didn't win and he wasn't the playoff or the regular season champion, Kyle Larson is your number one seed. Um, According to Racing Reference, it's Larson, then it's Truex Blaney, um, both in second right now with the points. So that win really helped Blaney. Um, <clears throat> Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, Denny Hamlin is now in essentially what is sixth position in the points. Um, William Byron, Logano, Kurt Busch, Brad Kozlowski, Michael McDowell, Eric Almarola, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reck, then it's Harvick. So the the thing with Hamlin is these next few races, you can't, these next three races, Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol, you can't have a screw up or you're going to be out. Same thing with Harvick. Um, you know, it's it's really going to be very interesting to see where that how that how those next few races break down. And especially um you know where like Hamlin's gonna be sitting or Harvick or Kislowski. Um so it'll be interesting. Ryan, your your thoughts with Daytona? You know, there were a couple of times in that race where I was starting to wonder, like, am I still watching a NASCAR race or am I watching 200 mile an hour bumper cars? Because it was starting to get a little on the cutthroat side as that race was going on. And we have the wrecks to prove it. Yeah, William Byron, I think, said as much in his uh, uh, post-wreck interview that um, the, uh, um, he's, I think he said something to the effect of it was either bumper cars that they were, the, the pushing and shoving was, um, much more aggressive uh, in this race than than previous uh, events at Daytona. So, um, well, I I think it was um, Pacaris said. Um, I, I think Pacaris said yesterday. Um, I saw across the Twitter feed that he thought he had heard that there was going to be a bunch of tandem drafting. Which, if you remember, when when you get that tandem drafting, that makes it, I mean, that makes it just more prone to these wrecks happening. Yeah, and they didn't really have the the tandem drafting in the form that um, one might recall from, like, say, 2010, 2011, um, 2009, but... um, but, you know, the the importance of of bump drafting and... um, you know, maintaining a, a, you know, close distance, if not being right on the bumper of, of the car in front of you was very important um, for this race. And it's also important to remember too, that they made a technical change to the engines going into this race, such that they were generating a little bit less horsepower because uh, they were trying to slow the cars down a little bit. And uh, that worked. Um, uh, race speeds were generally in the the 180s to maybe the the low mid 190s um, at their very peak um, during the course of this race. So, um, you know that I think made the importance of um, working together that much more. Um, Ryan, your thoughts? 
Well, I got to tell you, after the slug out that was Daytona, well, you see the standings, you think, oh, you know, there's a few obvious options for think, you know, yeah, maybe Hendricks got the championship in the bag. But if that last race has anything to say about it, it's like, no, you don't want to say things like that because uh, that just uh, makes you sound like an idiot. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one other thing to uh, to note here before we um, uh, we jump to break, um, and we'll we'll spotlight this in a, a future episode. But um, the uh, the twenty four hours of Le Mans ran um, this uh, not this this last weekend here, but the the one before. Um, the same weekend as uh, Gateway in Michigan. And um, there was uh, some very interesting storylines that came out of that as well. Um, and uh, so just wanted to let our listeners know we haven't forgotten about that. And uh, we'll be touching on it in a, another uh, episode very soon. But it'll, um, it'll probably be our next episode because that was an interesting race. It was. Um, but for now, uh, we're going to uh, take a quick break. Ryan's going to tell you about our, our social media platforms, where to find us and uh, uh, how to check in with us. And then on the other side, we're going to spotlight a very interesting race in spa for the formula one cars. This is from checker to green. From checker to green podcast. We'll be right back. Are you enjoying what you're listening to? Join us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for the From Checker to Green podcast. Is there a segment that you enjoy? Tell us. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? Let us know. Your feedback helps us generate content to drive our show. And if you're enjoying this episode, look for the rest of our library. You can find us on podcasts.com as well as Apple Podcasts. Just look for the From Checker to Green podcast, and we hope you listen to us soon. And now, back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, Ryan, and welcome back. And in our spotlight today, I don't know if anyone, uh, anyone who of our listeners caught this race, but Formula One was in Spa for the Belgian Grand Prix. Well, we're going to talk about it in our spotlight because it was just pretty interesting. So let's let's recap what happened. Um, it. It's going to be interesting here, this recap. So hold on yep. for the quick, quick version of it, if possible. So it rained, rain, 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 and rain. We had rain in qualifying. We had crash in qualifying. Um, we had rain throughout the weekend. And now we get to race day. It's raining. And I was going to record the race this morning when all of a sudden I got word through my phone that Sergio Perez has crashed in the cars out to the grid. Um, poor shit. So I go jump on ESPN to see the crash 
and see that he's going to be out of the race. Literally, he is going to be out of the race because he needed a tow. And it rains, and they go to take the formation lap. And they're going to do the formation lap. And they continue. And all of a sudden, they call the cars to pit road. Because if you look at the thing from Sebastian Vettel's view, you could not see the car in front of you because of how heavy the rain was in the spray. So here begins the race delay. Now, in Formula One, they have a three-hour clock to get everything in. Well... They didn't tell until an hour and a half to go that the three-hour clock was started. But the two-hour race clock did not start. So they didn't consider a lap. So under this rain delay, all of a sudden, you get all of a sudden coming over the radio, Sky Sports, who covers the Formula One, who's broadcast airs on ESPN here in the United States, um, gets a radio chatter from about about Sergio Perez and and Red Bull and they're talking to Michael Massey in the the race control about fixing Perez's car. Now, normal formula 1 rules is that coming out to the grid if you crash and you need assistance and you can't get back or outside help to get the car back, you are technically out of the race. End of story. However, because they consider the race started. However, because they called them in on the formation lap and they never really gave a green light to start the race because the plan was originally start it under the safety car the green light never occurred so they said yeah but it didn't start well it did it didn't start it did but okay whatever they gotta look into it they said stewart's call it was a loophole they allowed perez to rebuild the car and he would have to start from the pits if they would get going so in the meantime, while this is all happening, they get the car fixed. Everyone's waiting for the rain to stop and everything. They start getting a window and they keep giving weather updates. And then all of a sudden they say, we're going to start the race. We have a window to start. And there was talk about if they can get two laps in, then they can do half points. So there's another rule that you can have it because your decisions were scratch it, do half point, or try to do it the next day. So they actually went for the half point decision, got two laps in, brought the cars back down. And because the rain did not get better, even though it looked like it did. And so it essentially ended the way it they qualified, except for Perez, because he had. So two laps, half points, Max Verstappen wins, George Russell and Williams is second, and Lewis Hamilton's third. Ricardo fourth, Vettel fifth, 
Gasly sixth, Akon seventh, Leclerc uh, Leclerc eighth, uh, Latifi ninth, Car- Sands tenth, uh, Alonso eleventh, Bottas twelve, Giov- Giovanazzi thirteenth, Norris fourteenth, Sunoda fifteenth, Schumacher sixteenth, Mazepin seventeenth, Stroll eighteenth, Reichlin nineteenth, Perez twentieth. Half point, it's now a three point difference which if they would have ran full points would have been um, um, and called it like this, or they gave full points. Um, we'd probably be looking at Max Verstappen taking the points lead, but the fallout from this race kind of echoed something. And Chris Medlin was writing like crazy for racer.com. So they gave half points. Sebastian Vettel called it a joke, um, according to Chris Madeline. He goes, that's a joke. If you want to get a reward for qualifying, you should get points for qualifying. Um, he was upset with the, the rule about points being handed out, but he said FIA took the right decision he, because they couldn't see out there. Um, especially with the safety car. Um, Lewis Hamilton was miffed at, and he thinks um, he said it was um, cynical done to ensure a race. This is Chris Mellon on racer.com to ensure a race count is taking place and questions whether fans will be compensated as a result. Hamilton says, I really feel sorry for the fans. Obviously, it's no one's fault with the weather, but the fans have, have been incredible today just to stick with us the whole time and hold out for a potential raise. He says they should, he really hopes they should get the money back. But Michael Ma- Messi came out, and so what it gets called is a classification. Um, it's a classification because they didn't run. I guess if you run 75% of the race, then it's considered a, a full race and you can get full points from what I understand. But Medlin writes, um, you know, was writing about on racer.com. And he says, for the race to be eligible for half points, it must run for at least two laps. But countback regulations saw the classification taken after lap one. The penultimate lap before the stoppage linked to the confusion whether scoring should count or not. That was from Medlin. But then Michael Massey says, there's been three laps completed, so the third lap was completed as the cars crossed the control line in the fast lane of the pit lane. Then the classification for points ta- is taken on the penultimate lap before the lap when the signal was given. So there's two separate points. Um, he kind of said, well, Massey wanted to say it was a couple separate matters. He... Um, you know, Hamilton criticized about the commercial considerations. He said no, he would never, you know, do that. He goes, they were essentially aiming for a window, um, which they thought 
which it looked like they could have. So, gentlemen, let's start around. I'll give my thoughts last. Ryan, you start because, I mean, you watch Formula One like me quite a bit. You know, Elliot does too, but you, you, you're really into it as well. Um, you know, you've been into it for a longer time than Elliot and I have been. So, Ryan, give me your thoughts. Well, I got to be honest. This is really a race that even those few laps should not have happened. When you take a look at the track pretty much for the majority of the weekend and you realize you'd have actually made better progress if everyone was piloting boats instead of driving Formula One cars, that's when a little bit of intelligence and reason needs to shine through in the decision-making and you go, this is not something that's worth risking our drivers over. I know it's a major racing event that weekend, a lot of time and effort and resources, both material and financial go into setting up an event like this. And as Sir Lewis Hamilton so eloquently put it, the fans were nothing but the best as they tend to be and mad respect for them for it when you take the overall conditions into play and when the meteorologists are telling you that it's probably not going to change for the entire day you need to see the writing on the wall and go this is going to suck people are going to be very annoyed by it but we need to make the smart decisions look out for the best interests of our drivers and their crews and their teams at large and we you know, we need to pull the plug on it and they got lucky that the only major incident was uh sergio perez's wreck that thank god he walked away from and they were able to put his car back together but that also should have been the last deciding factor that they required to go nah we're done we're done it's we got to stop it here before something worse happens it didn't but when you start gambling with your drivers and their cars, that's just beyond reckless as far as I'm concerned. Elliot, your thoughts? Um, I think I have kind of a couple different thoughts here. And, and um, one is as far as the track goes, as far as spa goes, this was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad weekend all the way around because um and a lot of it had to do with the weather as well, but um, there was um, uh, some weather-related crashes throughout the weekend. Um, and, you know, we talked about Perez um, during the formation lap. There was also Lando Norris, who had a very bad wreck um, in a heavy rain shower during uh, the third round of qualifying um, the day before. Um, and then... Uh, earlier in the, the race weekend as well, um, there was a, um, a downpour um, at a high-speed complex set of curves that are, that are very famous to this track um, called Eau Rouge uh, Radion. And uh, it's a left, right, left, uh, downhill, and then uphill combination um, that's, uh, that this track is very famous for. And uh, it's very technical, very demanding, very high speed and uh, high risk. And, and unfortunately, there have been a lot of bad wrecks there uh, over the years. Most recently was the 2019 wreck 
um, that killed a driver in, uh, uh, I believe it was a Formula Two race. Um, so in the uh, one of the, the supporting series, the Formula W series or the W series um, on Friday, uh, they had a, a, a multi-car crash, uh, took out six cars um, at this, this set of corners. Um, and two, two of those drivers had to go to the hospital. Thankfully, they were okay. They, they were treated and released. Um, but um, there was uh, a lot of criticism about how the, um, the track is constructed in that area and the placement of the barriers and things. Um, to, for, on the, the, to the, um, the track's credit, uh, they have stated that they are going to be, I guess, doing some renovations um, in the coming months or uh, not, too, not too long uh, in the future now. And that complex, that Eau Rouge Radion complex, um, is going to be one of those areas that they're going to be redoing. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of people that are relieved when uh, that's finally done. And um, uh, hopefully it will reduce, if not eliminate, um, the potential for, um, for very bad crashes. In particular, uh, cars that, um, that crash coming out of uh, the set of curves and then end up in the middle of the, the track still and risk being hit again, um, which is exactly what happened in 2019. And it is exactly what happened um, in the W series here this past weekend. Um, and, you know, there were a couple of injuries, but thankfully, um, you know, everybody ended up being okay. On Saturday during uh, the third round of qualifying, as I mentioned, Lando Norris, um, in the McLaren had a, had a bad crash shortly before that Sebastian Vettel and the Aston Martin, um, was sending radio communications back saying that the rain was very heavy and they needed to, um, uh, they needed to call the, the qualifying session early. Um, and according to, um, uh, an ESPN article on the subject, um, Vettel said that, uh, they were very lucky, um, to, uh, avoid uh, a worse fate. Um, and he said on the radio, um, when told of um, the red flag that came out for Norris's crash, he said, well, what the expletive did I say? What did I say? Red flag, unnecessary. Um, and uh, so there was some, some criticism spent, uh, you know, at, uh, at uh, Formula One's way, in particular at Michael Massey. Um, and then you fast forward to Sunday and there being a lot of heavy rain. Um, and, you know, to both your points and to, you know, all of the points that were made by the drivers, there was no real way to go racing today. Um, the weather simply didn't allow it. And when you have a situation like that, where mother nature is calling the shots and there is nothing you can do, um, then that's exactly it. There's nothing you can do. Um, but at that point, to say that a few laps behind a safety car is a race of any official measure is just mind-blowing to me. And I know that their schedule is, is very packed uh, during this time, uh, and they're going to Zanvoort this weekend, which we're going to touch on later on in this episode. 
but there has to be a way for there to be some type of an official race the following day or, or at some point to where um, the teams and the drivers can showcase and, and run a race and the fans be treated to something that is adequate for the time and money that they have paid to be able to attend and see. Um, so while I think the, at the end of the day, the right thing was done that, you know, there was no way to go racing and, you know, other than some time behind the safety car that would, that was done. Um, this is not a, a good look for, for formula one. Um, and I think, but for the legendary status of the spa Frank circuit in European motorsport, um, I think it would just as we saw with, with Indy and the United States grand prix back in 2005, um, would, uh, would have, I think, a lot of negative consequences in terms of the viability of that circuit to be able to um, host Formula One events going forward. Um, so we'll see what happens going forward. I know, you know, as, as David, as you touched on, um, you know, Sir Lewis Hamilton uh, came out and was very unsparing of, of, of the uh, Formula One brass um, on social media and stated, and if you ask me as a race fan, rightly so, that the fans that were there today deserve a refund. And hopefully um, they will want to come back. And those are my thoughts. So I, I want to put my thoughts in on, on this. And, you know, I, you know, you know, so many episodes ago, we talked about NASCAR and Coda and, and the rain and the decisions and and literally the cluster bleep that was um, out there. But I I don't I mean, it was heavy rain and in listening, see what Sky Sports said. And I I, I give them credit i mean I, I i think sky sports has a great broadcast but they said here's the challenge of trying to do it the next day the marshals are volunteers they don't get paid they're not part of formula one they're, they're volunteers who are trained and they have normal jobs so that was the first issue was do you have enough volunteers two it takes a day and a half to break down the Formula One um, equivalent of trailers, the, their motorhomes, their offices, essentially, you know, where, where the drivers stay, where everyone stays um, <clears throat> at the track. It takes a day and a half to break all that stuff down. So if you ran it Monday, let's say you let's say you got it early and you did a 9 a.m. ended at noon, you're not 
getting out there to a late Tuesday, then you have to take a day to tra- travel to Zandvoort. Uh, Zandvoort. Uh, Zandvoort, sorry. It, 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 for the Dutch Grand Prix. And they have to set that up. The other thing was Sky Sports said all their TV equipment, if they waited one day to run it, they're not there broadcasting. So at the next race. So, I mean, if the decision came down to scratch it, which Ryan, I honestly think they should have. I, I agree that they should have. Excuse me. I mean, I mean, I, I think that they should have scratched that race no matter what, and no one gets points and say, hey, we have a break in the schedule somewhere. We just canceled one race. Maybe we can get another race in. Maybe we can put it there or put it somewhere else and maybe change around the schedule a little bit near the end of the season. That's fine. They could look into that. Um, but I, the half points, okay. Formula one has kooky rules and I understand that. Um, you know, some rules are kooky, but all right. Yeah. But they, I feel bad for the fans to, to just see three laps of a race. Um, it's just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, the fans should get some compensation for that. Um, but the, but the one, but the other point I want to touch on, because Mercedes made us think about it again, is Perez and being allowed to refix his car. So what? It was a loophole. Do you know how many loopholes they found in the, you know, back in the days before Formula One started to crack down on stuff? Give me a break, please, Toto. This is a, I I love the, the rivalry going on, but you know what, guys? At this point, it's time to put up or shut up. You're going to, you both of you going to bitch and complain and, and about things in this or, you know, at the British Grand Prix, oh, we're going to complain about this. Oh, we're going to complain about this at, at Hungary. We're going to complain. Just shush and put it out on the track and let your drivers do the job. So what they let a car rebuild. You're in a tight championship battle. You would have complained about it if it was a Haas car or a Williams car or an Alpine car. And it's worth worth noting as well, too. It's funny you mentioned Haas, David. Nikita Mazepin had the fastest lap and got the, I think, the half point for having the fastest lap on the day today. That speaks, I think, to the kind of the lunacy of of today's events i i but can't you guys don't you guys agree i think this is a point to just put up or shut up 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, it goes to like, show that um, Christian Horner Toto. and Red Bull are in Toto Wolf's head. Completely. Oh, Toto, Toto. So trust me, Ferrari would get into Toto Wolf's head. He gets he gets so bad out of shape when someone takes the wrong step. Yeah. In the garage. Come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. Uh, yeah. Mercedes has to has to focus on their stuff and take care of their own because as we've seen, they have benefited from from luck and immensely so at points yeah. during the year. And it's only as a result of contact at Silverstone um, with Hamilton and Verstappen that Mercedes is even in the conversation to both driver and uh, manufacturer in the first place. So, um, you know, whether or not Perez, listen, Perez starts on, on pit road, you know, he's still starting at the back anyway. Yeah. He's not getting points. Well, he, I mean, he, you know, if he has to drive his life, he might get points. Okay. Yeah. Under a normal race, but in this race, he wasn't going to get any points. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Just don't complain. It's like, and that I, I love how Sky Sports questioned him, and then he's like, uh, 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 I guess, I, I guess, I guess it's okay. I'm blah, 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 blah. Please, Ryan, before we go, break your thoughts on that. Well, one, that was the worst example of backpedaling that I've heard in a long time. It's like, Honestly, dude, you call yourself a professional. Sit down before you hurt yourself or somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, yeah, it's like, okay, Porky Pig, let's take a breather, take a drink of water, and switch to decaf. All right. I want you to blow a blood vessel on the radio. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, as Elliot pointed out, uh, Red Bull is absolutely living in Toto's head rent free, and he either needs to learn to get a grip. Or it's going to be a long rest of the season for him. Yep. So, Toto, but, take the advice of, of the band, Toto. Hold the line. There you go. But, uh, David, I wanted to touch on, on one thing that you had mentioned um, when you were offering some thoughts. Um, so you talked mm-hmm. about uh, how long it takes for Formula One and all of the associated entities to go from track to track. Right. Um, and if that's the case, and if, if we're racing from, you know, what is it, March or April until December anyway, then, okay, maybe we need to rethink having a race, you know, for, uh, on consecutive weekends, because this is this stretch right here from Belgium to the Netherlands is, you know, is, is close to, um, you know, is, is probably as short of a distance between tracks as you're going to get on the, the Formula One calendar. And that they were unable to make it work running on a Monday, um, you know, logistically on those, those counts, you know, leaving the, the uh, you know, track marshals and volunteers and all that aside for a minute um, speaks to the inflexibility in the schedule to be 
um, to be able to accommodate challenges from mother nature. Yeah. And, you know, we know, you know, motorsports is an outdoor entity and it sometimes, you know, puts a series in a situation beyond their capability to run a race. You know, we clearly, that was the case today. We've seen it in NASCAR um, a time or two this year. So if that's the case, and we, then I think Formula One seriously needs to rethink how they construct their schedule um, to be able to give not only the teams, but the fans and people that are watching on TV, um, you know, greater certainty that, okay, if we're not going to run it today, then we'll run it tomorrow. And then if we're worried about, um, you know, people that are volunteers that, you know, cannot, uh, you know, that have to, uh, you know, go back to work on Monday, well, then, you know, maybe we, re- need, we need to rethink that as well. And especially if a lot of these people are unpaid, maybe you pay them for their time. And, yeah. you know, maybe it'll make them a little more um, willing to call the boss and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it today, yeah. you know. Um, but there's there's definitely some things, you know, and, and I'll be very curious to see what the next spa event, what the attendance figures look like and see if there's any drop off because of this. Um, but I think that this is a huge red flag to Formula One, the FIA, and any other form of motorsport that has no flexibility built into their schedule to accommodate challenges of any kind, um, and especially from Mother Nature. Um, this, um, this especially needs to change. Most certainly. And we'll, we'll see what happens. And we, we can talk more about that in future episodes but with that said, we're going to need to, we, we got to take a break because we've got to preview the first cup race of the season. Uh, the of playoffs. The, of the playoffs. Yep. Jeez, I'm, I'm going back <laughs> in time here. Um, <laughs> and we're going to have to talk about the Netherlands and Formula One. So this is from Checker to Green, and Ryan has a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Looking to improve your business identity? Consider Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics has the knowledge and resources to make your business stand out amongst your competitors. Such options as logo designs, business cards, and letterheads to advertising options, such as postcards, stickers, and flyers to get your name out to your potential customers. If you're interested in more information, contact Samurai Graphics at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now we're back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, Ryan. It's time to go green. And let's take a look at Big events coming up this weekend. We've got the first race of the NASCAR playoffs at Darlington and 
Formula One going to Zandvoort and the Netherlands. So first, let's talk Darlington and what to expect there. Um, so this is the Cookout Southern 500. This is the 500 miler from Darlington. Uh, it's one of the crown jewels on the NASCAR Cup Series calendar. And uh, certainly, um, you know, a lot um, a lot riding on the line. You know, the first, uh, first race, the playoffs, um, it's important to have a really, really good finish, if not a win, to punch your ticket into the next round. And um, there's definitely some, some drivers out there that, um, you know, in the, uh, uh, in the playoffs that are strong favorites, I think, to be able to do some big things in this race. Um, I'm looking especially at uh, the, uh, the Hendrick cars. I think the Gibbs cars will be pretty strong. And um, you never know, Ryan Blaney is riding a lot of momentum right now. And maybe he, um, he or Brad Keselowski um, ekes one out here. I don't know about Logano. Um, David, what do you think about this race? Well, I think Darlington's always interesting and it always ends up being a wild card. I mean, you know, the cars are going to get the Darlington stripe. I mean, it's just the nature of the track. They always run high there. Um, it's a, you know, the high lines, the way to go. It's a, um, you know, it's unique with it being that egg shape and two different corners. Um, you know, it's not the throwback weekend because they did that in May, but you're back to the Labor Day weekend at Darlington. Um, now they got the two races and it's a, um, I think it's going to be a really interesting race weekend. It's a 6 p.m. start on Sunday. So you can watch the, um, you can watch, the, you know, the, the racing, you, you know, people have off the next day because of Labor Day. Um, I, you know, looking at J-Ski, what they're expecting the top 10 starters to be is Blaney, Hamilton, Kyle Busch, Elliott, Bowman, Larson, Reddick, Almaroa, Rola, Harvick, and Truex. I think it, you know, I, I think this is going to be the race for Hamlet. Um, Darlington has been really good to Dang Hamlin, especially the Labor Day races. So I think that's that's going to be a good thing for him. It's always been a good for the Toyotas. Um, so, you know, look at Hamlin, look at Truex. Don't count the Hendricks out, the, the Hendrick cars. I think they, they still ride a lot of momentum there. Um, but yeah, this can define, you know, this first race can define the playoffs. Um, you have a bad race at Darlington and you're in the playoffs. You're already then in the hole trying to make the cutoff line at a Richmond and Bristol, which is two tough tracks that two tough, I mean, two short or two bull rings that are tough. So this, this can be defining for the playoffs this year. And I think it, it'll be very interesting to see who, who does it, but I like Hamlin or Truex or one of the Hendricks, Ryan. 
I'm fully expecting to see the rivalry between Gibbs and Hendrick to continue in this race. But while they're slugging it out with each other, they need to make sure that they don't lose their sights from any of the other drivers who would more than happily take advantage of them paying attention to each other to sneak their way up to the front. So this is the time where, while you should be keeping your head on a swivel for the entire season, this become much more critical now because you reach the point of the season where one misstep and uh, bye. Yeah, indeed. You know, we talked before about, um, uh, you know, David, you touched on the, uh, the playoff points and where everybody is. And, you know, this is a wide open um, field this year, points wise. I mean, yeah, you have Larson who's got a ton of points, but um, there is very, very little room for her. Even uh, drivers like Truex Jr. and Blaney um, that have 24 playoff points going into the, uh, the, the playoffs uh, and they're, they're tied for second, you know, that's, you know, you can easily lose that in one race. So um, it's, that's going to be very important. And, you know, we talk, um, Ryan, you talk about, um, you know, drivers that you know, might be kind of a dark horse that, um, you know, you have to, uh, you know, pay attention to and be careful of. Let's not forget, Kevin Harvick is in the playoffs. He's won here a couple times over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Tony Stewart came out here um, this past week and said that, um, you know, they've, they've, it's been a very frustrating season for them as a team, Stewart Haas Racing, um, and they haven't figured out what the, the problem is on those cars yet. Um, but if there's a race to turn your season around, it's this one, and Harvick knows how to do that. Um, Tyler Reddick is another one that um, he loves to flirt with danger up by the wall on some of these, especially some of these intermediate tracks like, uh, like Homestead. So he's another one that could do very, very well here. So um, those are a couple of uh, dark horses I could see doing, uh, uh, doing some very big things at this race. Yeah. I never underestimate the power of luck. And that would be squarely in the hands of Ryan Blaney coming in off a two win hot streak. Yeah, that's true. So Formula One this weekend, returning to a track that has had a a lot of history in Formula One has been away uh, from the calendar for a little while, but um, it's uh, it's been renovated and it's ready to welcome the Formula One cars and teams and fans with open arms. Uh, We're talking about Zandvoort in the Netherlands and um, uh, this is going to be a, a really, really interesting race, I think. Um, Ryan, what do you think about um, who the, the early favorites might be uh, going into this weekend? Yeah, obviously, we're most likely going to see the slug out between Red Bull and Mercedes continue in this race. So Max Verstappen and Sir Lewis Hamilton obviously are going to have to be in the conversation. But I think after the last few races there might be some people that have a bone to pick out there and they're going to want to force themselves back up into the conversation. And given that nobody has any real advantage here after, you know, coming off of a 36 year hiatus in the circuit. uh, I think we have the opportunity for anyone to take this one. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's a 14 turn track that um, 
you know, they, they made some changes to it. They said, uh, you know, according to Formula One, they, you know, the circuit it described in this word, really quick, pretty intense, crazy, and old school was what a lot of the Formula One drivers said when asked about to describe this track. But they said um, they um, they modernized the, the track. Um, they in what they what they've done is they increase the banking angle at the famous Tarzan corner to an Indianapolis Motor Speedway trumping 18 degrees, which I think India Indianapolis is um which I kind of see I think that's that turn 14. I, I they don't have the turns broken down so um, which Indy, I think is a nine degree banking, but, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. They say that, you know, it's a roller coaster feel to the lap. So, um, if you're a fan of roller coasters, um, you better pray that, you know, you get some good camera angles from Sky Sports this weekend because that would be pretty cool um, to kind of see that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting, especially that you've got a three-point championship battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. And the the tire compounds are Pirelli has selected is um, C1, 2, and 3. So that's the hardest, uh, the second hardest, and the medium. So your medium type compound is the softest. Your, your, you, so you've got you know, a medium compound for the softest, a medium hard as the medium, and then the hardest as the hard tires. So I think it's going to be very interesting. And looking at this layout, ooh, there are going to be some really interesting race racing this weekend. Especially, um, I don't, I, I guess they talked about the banks and where to watch this Formula One says if you ever go to this. And I may want to go to this track down the road. Um, gentlemen, now if you're up for a road trip down the road here, but um, they said, the oh, Tarzan's the first corner. But then they've got Ari Leindijk-Bacht, if I balked or bacht, or if I said that right, the fine, um, and then the final turn is who get holds back. If I said that wrong, somebody correct me, please. Yeah, I'm afraid I am not quite up on that language, so don't look for any judgment from me. I'm in no position. But they said the ladder corner has been widened and banked into a per, uh, parabolic or yeah, parabolic corner. So, which allows the cars to run side by side at the same time, have speed. Yeah, if anyone's brave enough to come out of that turn or turn hot, they're going to feel some G's. Yeah. So, I think it's going to be interesting. Oh, yes. 
This is one of those tracks that's definitely going to favor the technicians behind the wheel. Because especially once you get off of that long straightaway between 14 and 1, you got three hairpin turns at 1, 3, and 12. And you got that hard right angle at 11 that feeds into 12. Mm -hmm. And you got that. That's going to separate the men from the boys right there. And you got that turn 2, which puts you into that hairpin. Yep. I mean, it's going to be, I'm going to bet you're going to get DRS on the front stretch. And I'm going to take a bet there's going to be a DRS somewhere. I I bet you have one DRS this weekend. I I don't see it. I don't see two DRS zones. Like, honestly, there's no other, to me anyway, there's no other spot on the track that seems like a logical place for another one. No, you, you can't. Maybe going into six, if seven ends up being a little quicker turn, but I don't know. But, uh, I'll, I'll continue to look at that, but yeah, I'm excited. That's uh, going to be fun. Oh, yeah. So definitely have your, your DVR set for that. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So... so. Yep, should be a fun race weekend. Um, and moving into our final thoughts for uh, for this episode, um, you know, we talked a couple episodes about uh, a couple episodes ago about uh, the passing of Bob Jenkins uh, and the impact that he had on the um, uh, the broadcast um, the the broadcast sector in particular of motorsports. Um, and here this last week, um, we lost Robin Miller, who was um, uh, a a force of nature in the, uh, uh, especially in the, um, the broadcast and journalist uh, parts of uh, the motorsports community. And um, just like uh, Dale Earnhardt on track, um, everybody had an opinion of Robin Miller, uh, of Robin Miller, whether you loved him or hated him. Um, He certainly got your attention and um, he whatever he said, he believed. And, um, there was, uh, it certainly, um, sparked a a lot of his articles and his work, uh, certainly sparked a lot of discussions. Um, but at the end of the day, the motorsports community was a lot, uh, better place for him in it. And now that he's no longer here, I think it's going to be worse off, uh, for him not being here. So, um, uh, Ryan, your thoughts on um, on Robin Miller's passing? That was a shock. Losing two great voices in racing so close together, it's it's jarring a little bit. And obviously, with his rather storied career inside of IndyCar, there's a lot of a lot of big moments in that where you hear his voice behind it, and it's sad that we'll not see that again. Yeah, um, it, it, it's tough. Um, you know, he was, a, he was one of my favorites. Um, I used to read his mailbag. Um, he, he had a very storied career. Um, Robin Miller's career um, started he followed IndyCar racing. He got into auto racing. Um, 
his hero and he worked he the word stooged was used um he stooged on the pit crew for um Jim Herbie's who the the late Jim Herbie's who um is North Tonawanda Buffalo New York race car driver um is um you know who's you know who was an interesting character say least but a great driver and you know Robin Miller had a racing career he ran USAC for a time he ran Formula V's and then um he got into the broadcasting he wore not the broadcasting aspect um but the most sports journalism he worked for the Indianapolis Star and he told it as it is um you want you know in in racing sometimes we need these people who tell it as it is um jimmy spencer being one of them um in the nascar role told tells it as it is but robin miller did it and a famous incident uh that came out of it was aj foyt taking a swing at him at Indianapolis when he said he thought AJ was doing something wrong, you know, illegal to his race car and published it. And the paper had to redact it because Foyt got mad. Um, they became best of friends when um, Tony George, you know, he, Miller was pissed at the IndyCar split and laid it out and laid it out to Tony George, which ended up getting him fired from the Indianapolis star, but he wanted to work for racer you know, racer magazine, NBC sports, ESPN. Um, Robin Miller was one of those guys that told it as is and his weekly mailbag. I enjoyed reading it quite a bit. Um, it was a great way when we when we started doing this podcast. Um, we're putting the ideas together. I would go to that mailbag for IndyCar related thoughts. Um, because if Miller didn't have the answer, he went on and found somebody who did. Um, and got them. And if he didn't answer your question, he wrote back to you, even if it didn't get published. Um, it's it's sad. Um, I think the most fitting thing that happened was this pat was um, when Bob Jenkins passed away. Who did that tribute to him? It was Robin Miller. And when um, I think when he got inducted into the Moore Sports Hall of Fame, I think that topped it, and he knew that was it. Um, he had lived a good life, and he kind of accepted that. And, you know, he led one of the great things is he led the roast for Bobby Unzer. 
Um, he had great stories about Bobby Unzer and, and led a roast on that. So, you know, even though we lost him, you know, he's up there in heaven joking around with Bobby Unzer and, and Jim Herbies and, and going and having some races with those guys. And, um, you know, the one final thing I want to talk to about is go on YouTube and search for if you, I have our listeners are, you know, listening it, just search Robin Miller on YouTube and look at all the things he did about the drivers um, he did want Jim Herbie's. He did want Steve Chassie. He he's done it on Lloyd Ruby. These drivers were were drivers who tried to cut their teeth and ran into something at the end, but were had a hell of the hell of a talent. And that's what he always looked out for as well. And gonna miss his weekly mailbags. Um, I think Michael or I think Michael Pruitt said the best. It's going to be some big shoes to fill from now on. And RIP Robin Miller. And thank you for, you know, bringing us that information all those years. Um, certainly a, a big voice and a big pen. And uh, he will be missed. So um, with that, um, and uh, with that tribute to Robin Miller, we're going to um, bring down the curtain on episode number 27. Uh, this is Elliot Tardif saying thank you very much for listening this evening. And uh, we look forward to um, the, the privilege of your ears and time in episode number 28. Thank you very much. This is David Mai. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to having you listen to episode 28 and our other episodes. This is Ryan Kolpak. We appreciate every one of you that takes the time and trouble to listen to what we have to say. Can't thank you enough for it. We hope you continue to do so. And we will catch you on the next round. This is From Checker to Green, the podcast.